Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Stephen McHattie, an actor you'll have seen in pretty much everything. His dozens of feature credits include Pontypool, Watchmen, A History of Violence, and Secretary, and his TV credits range from Starsky and Hutch, Hill Street Blues, Miami Vice, and Seinfeld. I know, right? To runs in The Strain and the final season of Orphan Black. He next plays a key role in Peter Lynch's Birdland, which opens theatrically in Toronto and launches on VOD in the U.S. and Canada this Friday, January 26th. Stephen chose The Searchers, John Ford's 1956 western, which became the director's defining collaboration with his star John Wayne. A bleak, grim story shot in VistaVision in Technicolor, it casts Wayne as Ethan Edwards, a Civil War veteran bent on finding his young niece after she's abducted by a Comanche raiding party that slaughtered the rest of their family. Edwards' motivations, which are gradually revealed to be horrible, and his open loathing for the Indians he's chasing, offered Ford an opportunity to embark on one of the earliest deconstructions of the genre, a film that none too subtly blurs the lines between its ostensible heroes and villains until we're left with nothing but an endless chase, an endless cycle of violence, and bloody, awful revenge. Also, Natalie Wood and Jeffrey Hunter are in it. This is someone else's movie. Well, it's a movie I saw when I was a kid, because my dad loved John Wayne. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed it, but it, it kind of scared me. I didn't really know what it was about. Um, and then I watched it in New York um, when it was very, when John Wayne had completely gone out of fashion. Right. Everybody hated John Wayne, or everybody that I knew. Um, and. You know, I was kind of struck by how beautiful it was, but didn't really get into it. And then I saw it again when I was in my 40s, and it started to dawn on me what it was about. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I watched it about 10 years ago, and I just watched it again last night. Oh, um, great. So it's been something that's been kind of followed me around, kind of tugging on my sleeve. Um, and now I think it's the best movie I've ever seen. Um, in so many ways, especially now, um, it seems even better. Yeah, I had seen it, I think the first time I saw it I was probably about 15. Yeah, um, and I've seen it three or four times theatrically over the years. I just rewatched it last night, and it's it's amazing because it is such a studio picture. It's bound by all the rules of the fifties. They yeah. couldn't really show very much. Yeah. The lighting is very harsh, and it it feels like a studio production in a way that movies wouldn't ten yeah. years later. And the but, big orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the the themes that and the presentational through. performances. Mm-hmm. Except for John Wayne. Yeah, in I the mean, middle of I it. I think he's the, the best actor ever. It's remarkable, in that, movie. that performance. He's, yeah. There is so much rage and pain, and it's all... that he, He's constantly putting up this false front of, of, of confidence and bravery. 
he's an old scared man that can't say so. And I don't, I don't even know that Wayne is aware of it sometimes, but it's such an incredible, weird take from him. Yeah, but to me, um, you know, he's got what's in every man. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, scary to look at that. Um, and he's the, the first rebel. Yeah. I mean, he's rebelling against everything. Against Christian values, against the norms of the times, you know, what they think they're doing. Yeah. Their conception of family, um, and he was with the Confederates. That's right. Yeah, um, it's it's not even. I mean, now I think something like that would be hit a lot harder. The the concept of the guy having fought for the South and having oh, yeah. lost, yeah. and it's really just eh. He's, that's part of his past. Everything is part of his past. The 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 suggestions about his life and who he used to be. Yeah, they're just they're floating underneath the surface, but they never come through. Yeah. But I don't believe there's ever been a more convincing dad guy than John Wayne. Yeah. And he's the hero. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. It's, it's about a mission of vengeance. It's about rage and hate and the tiniest step of overcoming lifelong racism. And it's, it's so complex. And it, it fascinates me in terms of his filmography and his work with Ford because... You know the the standard boilerplate critically is that they saw something in each other that no one else ever did, and they mm-hmm. brought something out. Yeah. But this film is almost the master thesis of that argument because you have this expert filmmaker, someone who, you know, what was their first collab? Was it Stagecoach? Was the first time they worked together, right? That was thirty nine. I think so. Yeah. I'm not really up on on that. Yeah. Um, but twenty years later, they're doing, or not even twenty years later, they're making this movie with just this total confidence and this yeah complete trust in one another yeah and it's such an ugly film i mean what it's about is so horrible and the the loathing that that ethan edwards carries in himself mm. constantly yeah but it's reflected back at him by scar yeah i mean they're um they're you know very similar figures mm-hmm. um Neither one really willing to understand the other. Yeah, but I, I love the way it kind of, uh, you know, because now our view is, you know, the guilt of, uh, you know, having taken North America. Sure. Right? Um, and this uh, sort of describes what the fight was about, that it was a fight. Yeah. It wasn't uh, a capitulation. Uh, the way it's uh, talked about now. Right. You know. No, it was, um, again, it was uglier and more brutal than anything people are willing to think about now. Or, uh, <laughs> even, I was trying to think of equivalents. Everybody's talked about revisionist westerns and where they go next and, and after Unforgiven, the path that that takes. But Unforgiven doesn't have anything to do with First Nations or, or with the colonization of America. It's all It's all done by that point. Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah, this is set roughly around the same window of time, maybe 15, 20 years earlier. Yeah. But it's, yeah, the Civil War was a distraction. They've gone back to murdering people and, and pushing west and colonizing and and driving out the natives. And that results in this and, and the terror of miscegenation that runs through the whole thing. Jeffrey Hunter 
uh, explaining early on that he's an eighth Cherokee. That's what they tell me. Yeah. And him feeling like he's an outsider, which is incredible because he was this beautiful poster boy from the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who is supposed to have an uneasy relationship with with Ethan. Don't don't call me uncle. Don't call me sir. You just can't bear the sight of him in the, in the beginning and then slowly wins him over. It's, it's well, Yeah. And, but that really, you know, because he does bequeath everything to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, his father-son relationship, yeah. right? Of, uh, you know, accepting him, even though he's, uh, what is he, one-eighth? Yeah. <laughs> Indian? So he says. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so much about family, too. You know, because in that first scene, when he comes back... Right, it, it's not a sentimental homecoming. No, him. everyone's really uneasy. Yeah, and they yeah. also hate each other. Yeah. I mean, they're a real family. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They don't know how to talk to each other, and it's all very tense. And, and he he's doesn't paying recognize his brothers his own nieces. To, to, ahead of time that's to right. stay there. The right? Yankee dollars, which yeah. is another statement that yeah. you know, like, they're both sort of disgusted that this is their currency. Yeah, but they'll fight to the death for it. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, yeah, I mean, it's about so many things, but it's about country and family and uh, what it is to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that everybody's got that deadliness in them, but now we're trying to pretend that we can legislate it away, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and we can rewrite the past. I think certainly everybody wants to. Yeah, I mean, isn't it preferable, to. right? Wouldn't you rather have the version of your past that you... No. No. I wouldn't. No. It's, nope. There's definitely an urge, I think, that we constantly come up against. The idea of soft-selling our, our own selves, not necessarily nationalistically, but just people. You know, like everybody wants to remember themselves as winning every argument. Everybody wants to be the hero of their own story. No, yeah, yeah. The temptation is there and it just gets bigger. But the, the thing about the searchers that I come back to, this, this viewing again, every time I see it, it's more ambivalent than I remember. <laughs> every single time, there's yeah. something else yeah. that's uncertain. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are so many uh, just startling scenes in it that, that uh, surprise me every time. Mm-hmm. You know, like the mention of... <laughs> When they they first uh, uh, realize they're about to be, uh, you know, the the war party is coming. Oh, at the homestead, yeah. Yeah. And the daughter's reaction when she starts screaming. It's huge. It's yeah. such a big moment, and yeah. it isn't immediately. But then but every it makes other the point, though. Yeah, I mean, you feel it. And every other character carries that forward. The idea of violation, and and not just of the home, but the you know. Uh, how does Ethan put it when she comes of age for whatever and he won't say it but and part of that I always think it's 1956 of course they couldn't get into detail but the way they imply things is so uncomfortable and unpleasant characters physically recoil from the news and yeah that's the other thing about John Wayne's performance I don't think I've seen a performance where you feel an actor's physical presence in every move he makes mm. I mean you can just he's like three dimensional in uh, everything he does 
Yeah. And the way he's positioned in scenes. And he doesn't ever, um, you know, like in the scene where Jeffrey Hunter is, uh, you know, you know, where, with the will. Yeah. Where Jeffrey Hunter is in a rage with him. He says he doesn't want it, right? And he's really attacking him, right? John Wayne never uh, gives any indication that it has any effect on him. <laughs> None. Yeah. Well, this is what I mean about him putting up the front all the time. He's just such a... He's so... He's so consciously being a brick wall. Yeah. And Ethan will not reveal any emotion uh, with his family. Like, even the scene where he says at the very beginning, um, I, you know, it looks like you haven't grown at all. It's the kind of thing you think sounds good, but doesn't. <laughs> it's just a terrible thing to say to a child. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out this time, it's like, was he kidding? Does he know it's a different kid? And I think he's just so awkward that he doesn't know how to talk to children. He's he's clearly never had them in his life. He doesn't no, know I think what it's to a, do. I kind of read it as a... I, mean, I kind of grew up with that. Oh, yeah. From adults, that sort of joshing. No, a kind of refusal to be sentimental. Oh, okay, you know, to indicate emotion that you don't really feel. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like now people kind of go way too far the other way. It's overly demonstrative. Yeah. Okay. So he's simply treating them in a I'm like me, a you're you transactional business. It's always going to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a good way of not letting anybody in yeah. if you're him. Yeah. Because clearly the the thing that I, I caught it maybe the second last time I saw it, but early on when the little girl is leaning against the tombstone, that's his wife, I'm pretty sure. Mary Edwards died at the age of forty, forty one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Never spoken, right. never discussed. Ooh, I never caught that. But that's what brings him back. I think that's the only reason he comes back. It's not for his family. It's for the grave. It's for that connection to his... Yeah, it's about... Life that might have been. Ideals. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to you know to expand on the theme of the film is that he, this entire movie is about a quest to find and kill his his niece who has been defiled by the end yeah. of it. Yeah. And that the great moral triumph of the movie is that he simply doesn't do that mm-hmm. it's um that's it always surprises me i know it i've seen the film i know it's coming and it always lands like a blow because somehow uh the, you know the joke about um uh, if you a friend of mine loves to watch midnight express he has to finish it because billy might not get out this time he <laughs> has to make sure everything's going to be okay for him yeah uh the joke about somebody going to see rocky because you know he might win this time <laughs> this the idea that that's fraught, that there's any tension left in this film that I know well enough. Yeah. I mean, the movie's not going to change. But somehow Wayne makes that suspenseful. Ford plays it up in such a way that there's tension every time. And Natalie Wood is just so good at projecting that vulnerability the moment she sees him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could go either way every time I see it. It's it's a fascinating, weird thing that happens. Yeah. And there's that, that primal scene of the when he chases her down the hill, mm-hmm. he's on horseback and she's running, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you watch that, you know, it's the hunter and the hunted, and the, of course he's going to kill her, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he yeah. certainly carries it. I mean, yeah. he's moving like a Terminator. He has no, there's no indication of remorse or conscience. He's just, 
this is the thing. This is what his life has become. Yeah. And how can he, what does it mean if he doesn't follow through? And then, of course, oh, yeah, he's one of the guys who lost the war. He knows what defeat feels like. Yeah. And to turn it into a moral victory somehow, I, I don't know how, I don't know how the film plays that in a way that feels human instead of uh, moralistic. You know, it just structurally, you can't have John Wayne kill a teenage girl. <laughs> There's that's a given that was never going to happen, especially in 1956. Yeah, in that movie, you believe he would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time we get to that point, we're anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't think it's uh, a spoiler to, to mention that the other movie that you suggested covering was The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah, which. It suggests a certain continuity. Yeah. But the use of, of Wayne in that is so completely different that he's just this quiet cynic yeah. who's also a gunfighter. Yeah. But the, the way that Ford saw him and understood him and used him as a contrast to the other actors, yeah. I just think there's something to the two films that... He, they, they Yeah, they, I said it already. They got each other in a way that nobody else did. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he kind of takes the, uh, when you're looking at this, you know, John Wayne in in group scenes, mm-hmm. right, he's always, um, his attitude is always one of, uh, uh, look at this bullshit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's always slightly apart. Yeah. He's the leader, but he doesn't put up with anything. Yeah. Like he'll take the he'll. It's because he pulls the eye too. I think he's such an interesting physical figure. Oh yeah. He's this you know he's this beefy broad physical space that gets filled. Yeah. Yeah. And and in Liberty Valance contrasted to um, to Stewart, who's this beanpole. Yeah. It's a great image, but in The Searchers, mostly he's paired with Hunter. Uh, who is this classic model-looking guy? Just, yeah, you know, he's he's almost perfect yeah. in, in a distressing way for 1956. Um, you think about Ricky Nelson and Rio Bravo too. Yeah, it just directors delighted putting him next to idealized men. Yeah, right. Yeah, just to show the contrast that this guy Wayne has been around. He's lived. He's he's yeah. got calluses and yeah. Then you think about how you know Jimmy Stewart actually went to war in the forties, and, and mm-hmm. Wayne didn't. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, they're just different interpretations. I mean, John Wayne was kind of perfect at being imperfect in that in that American West way. He's a frontiersman. He's not a cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was it like as a kid seeing that? I mean, did you? God. Well, my dad would always take me to these movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loved them. So I kind of tried to be enthusiastic about them. But I, I didn't, you know, it was more the, you know, because the the action is so spectacular mm-hmm. with the horses and the, and the Indians and the... You know, I think it's more caught my eye as a show. Right. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't think I ever got that he was actually going to kill her. Okay. I think that went right over my head. Um, yeah. It's a little hazy as to what <laughs> I felt. Yeah. Because I was pretty young when I went to see it. Yeah. I those experiences though, they're so they're so formative. I'm I'm fascinated by how people engage with culture when they're that little because you don't really I mean, I'm I was the same way when I was a kid. Um my defining moments were things like Star Wars when I was nine and Yeah. There'd just never been anything else like it. It's yeah. it's fascinating now to watch the newer films try to tap into the same things just through use of film grain or music and and i'm, I'm having those lights go off in my head that connect me to that stuff mm-hmm. i came to the searches a little bit later and, and most Westerns, when did you first see it? it was probably around 15 oh really yeah and i had seen on it, tv uh it would have been yeah or maybe on tape but yeah on video i didn't yeah. see it theatrically until and how did you re- react to it i liked it i didn't i got it i think but I didn't get the the revisionist aspects. I didn't get the the questioning. It yeah. felt like a western. Yeah. And I'd seen a few others at the time. My um, my grandfather owned a movie theater down on uh, Queen Street, the the Orpheum. Oh no! Okay. Yeah. And the, until I was, I uh, sold it in '77, so I was, yeah, I was nine, and we didn't I think the only vaguely western-ish movie I saw there was March or Die which I was far too young to see it's a Gene Hackman Foreign Legion thing oh yeah and I only have this vague memory of watching it through the projection booth window mm-hmm. um, but I had seen I think my experience I know I'd seen the most complex western I'd seen was probably Winchester 73 the Jimmy Stewart movie mm. but I didn't understand it. I know that. Like, I saw mm-hmm. it again when it finally came out in widescreen on Laserdisc in the, in the late 80s. I saw it then and thought, mm-hmm. oh, oh, now I get it. This mm-hmm. is a much more complex movie mm-hmm. than what I thought it was. Oh, yeah. Um, the Searchers was sort of in the middle of my uh, understanding of, of Westerns, but I didn't really understand. I knew what it was about. I understood the all the... Um, all the stuff that isn't spoken, all the the, the implied threats and the, the, mm-hmm. the miscegenation and the rape and all that. But it wasn't until I saw it again that I really got into it. Because mm-hmm. I think it was just at the end of that wave, the VistaVision Technicolor wave, where everything just looks a little fakey. Even though they shot it in Monument Valley and locations, the colors are a bit too bright and a bit too yeah. rich. And you just, when I saw it on TV, it just felt like a TV western. Uh, and then I saw it theatrically, and it's like, oh no, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You're supposed to sit in the dark and really think about the ramifications of these decisions and what they're talking about. Yeah. And that's that's what it does that a lot of other yeah. movies didn't do. It just it lets things sink in just enough that you understand the kind of existential horror that the mm-hmm. story is about. It's about, I mean, it, on one level, it's about a bigot losing his family to rape by the other that's part of it mm-hmm. and on the other side there's the idea that Ethan is clinging to this quest as the one thing that he can do that is decent in his mind mm-hmm. and what decency means to him yeah, well, yeah it's his search for himself mm-hmm. too yeah and in the end the fact that he can't do the thing he has vowed to do and most wants to do which is a horrible way to live mm-hmm. that's his redemption mm-hmm. but it keeps him I mean that beautiful final shot he won't go in the house he knows that's over yeah it's just yeah yeah a uh, 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 complete redo of the first shot mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
Yeah. Just the idea that after all of this, in, in what he insisted was in service to his family, that he'll just divorce himself from that forever and, and just be outwards and outside for the rest of his days. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so primal and so painful and it's somehow it's a happy ending too. Like it's, yeah. it may not be what he wants, but it's what he thinks he deserves. And that's something that took me years to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just such a... And what do you think? Do you think he's justified? Do I think he's made the right decision? Or I mean, just well, that's it, right? What What is justification in this world where life is is short and brutal, nasty, brutish, and short, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's these people don't live very long and they don't live very well. I think there is there is something more satisfying of the in the ending of this than in something like The Shootist, which was supposed to be oh, the yeah. big summation of everything of John Wayne's career. Yep. It's already done. The, yeah. the Searchers is is Wayne. It maybe he doesn't know it, but the movie knows it. This is who he is. This is what his legacy is. Mm-hmm. It's to be on the outside. It's to be the Avenger, not the homesman. Yep. He doesn't get to be. He doesn't get his happy ending. This is as happy as he's going to be. Yeah. And I think that's what Eastwood gets in Unforgiven. Yeah. That it yeah. never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't spend most of your life riding a horse and shooting people, and then just say, "No, yeah, I'm a good also, guy." Also, there's a thing of you know, you can't give it up. Mm-hmm. Once you've been thing. in those kind of situations, you can't leave. You got to find them over and over again. Right. So it's not that the life won't let you go. It's that all you know is the life. Yeah. No, I mean it's like people who've been to battle talk about it being the best time of them. Some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are the guys you don't want to be around too long. You just. I don't know. I've having been lucky enough to never face war or even real, you know, battle, any kind of scuffle. I just, I can't imagine wanting to. But maybe when I was twenty, it would have been a different experience. Yeah. Because you do start to do the math and try to figure out how old Ethan was when all this started, and if he lost his wife at forty, that means they were together for a while, presumably, because in the West. Or in the in the eighteen hundreds, I don't think people people got married. People did get married pretty young. Yep. Um, who was he before? And does it even matter? Yeah. Well, he was in the war. Yep. But uh, as an older man, right? Because if it's the eighteen sixties, it's eighteen sixty eight when we meet him. Yeah. So he's just come back. Right. Well, no, sorry. They they actually say that. You know, like, where were you for three years? The war's yeah. been over. Yeah. And he was probably just running around Kansas killing people. Or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the ones who never gave up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the hardcore. Mm-hmm. But then that gives you a different man as well. One who grabs onto this family quest because it gives him meaning or because it's a license to keep killing. And either way, it's because there's nothing else. Mm. Well, if somebody's constantly trying to kill you, which is the situation yeah. the family's in, right? 
Some of them want to fight back. Some want to hide. And some want to take the fight to them. Yeah. Yeah. Not much different today. No. Well, now it's just done with words. Politicians. Yeah, words and threats and yeah. immigration bans. And uh, Tweets. Yeah, tweets. Well, fortunately, tweets have a much lower kill so ratio far. than bullets. Yeah. Yeah. You do. I, I, I just, I'm, I've been trying to figure out how to contextualize the searchers as a Western because it is a Western, but it's a Western that's in conversation with all the other ones, all the ones that have gone before. Yeah. And then you see the ones that came after, like Unforgiven and uh, that Ron Howard one, The Missing, that sort of does the searchers, but compresses it. Oh, really? It. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones and Kate Blanchett. No one remembers it. It came out in 2004, I think. Ah. And it's not great, but it's really interesting in the way that it engages with, specifically with the searchers, because Jones is playing Wayne. Yeah. But the idea is that in this case, uh, he is brought into it by Kate Blanchett's character, who's his daughter, when her children are abducted. Oh, yeah. And it's about re-engaging with all that stuff. And it was sort of dismissed as an unforgiving knockoff, but it really is more of a conversation with the searchers and what that's saying about, and how it's, um, how, how attitudes in filmmakers have changed in the, what it would have been, 50 years since The Searchers, because Jones's character ha- is a frontiersman as well, but he's gone native. He's sort of, he married a Lakota woman, and that's, oh. that's where he's coming from now. She comes to him because he's a tracker, but he's also a great, so a former that's soldier. That's a long way from Ethan Edwards. It really is, yeah. yeah. And then even further away is, is a Zacharias Canucks movie from a couple of years ago. Uh, I guess it would have played TIFF in 2016, Maglutit. Uh, which was his version of the searchers in which a native family is shattered by another native party and and it tracks it in about 1902 in in the uh in the tundra and ah. yeah it's really something and it doesn't riff completely on ford's film but it it's indebted to it in a way that's really interesting like it never this again it never goes away this this movie is such a primal story that it's still bouncing around the culture yeah we're re-engaging with it in different ways yeah hmm yeah no those are worth seeking out I recommend them to anybody listening as well uh cause that's what we do yeah yeah but in terms of um in terms of of Wayne and the, and the searchers itself is there any part of it that has made its way into your work? Do you ever find yourself drawing on it? Is it somewhere in your creative DNA? Well, I wish I could find a way into that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, not that I'm aware of, no. No. Um, it's such a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the actors are used in that, you know, because Ford gets them all pumped up to be very theatrical yeah right except for John Wayne yeah yeah and Cheyenne Autumn uh-huh right it starts out very presentational and very uh, you know proscenium arch almost mm-hmm. um, very theatrical and the women are, are operatic okay um, and the women he casts as the native women are it's outrageous. Really? Um, well, how 
Um, you mean by, by prison you're standards? You're just watching by... the Mac. Okay. Is all you're doing, right? But it gets more and more realistic as it, get, as it starts dealing with the, uh, with the cavalry. Okay. And then it goes off at the, at the end of the first, you know, it's a four-hour movie, I think. At the end of the first act is an incredible scene in a bar with Jimmy Stewart. It's unbelievable. It's about 15 minutes long. Okay. And he keeps introducing these great character actors. And the scene builds and builds. It's unbelievable staging and acting. Um, you've got to see that scene. Yeah, I've never seen the film. I'm, I'm excited to, to look it up. It was kind of hard slogging. Yeah. Um, so this is like 64, right? According to the IMDb, it's one it? of those, I think so. Yeah. One of those roadshow pictures that we're doing Yeah, the and it, was, it looked like a movie he didn't have the money to do what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know, because some of it is on sets and... You know, it, it looks like, you know, he had huge ambition, you know, for a great big horse opera. Right. And, but cut, cut back. Huh. Um, but that scene with Jimmy Stewart, it's brilliant. Oh, wow. Uh, you got to watch it. It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's going on the list. That's, that's fantastic. And I love, I, uh, as surprising as it may seem, I love finding out that there's stuff I haven't seen because... You know, there's still time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's on Blu-ray and see it properly. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. I mean, it, it's the same with The Searchers. It really wasn't until I saw it theatrically and properly mm-hmm. that I could even start to get into it. I can't imagine what it was like for that generation that grew up in the 60s and 70s just watching stuff on TV because it wasn't accessible anywhere else. Now, I mean, oh, yeah. people don't know how good they've got it, but there's yeah. still holes that need to be plugged and stuff that needs to be found. Yeah. Mm, I wonder if it's... Yeah, I grew up in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. We had a great theater there. Oh, so you did have access? Oh, it was unbelievable. He showed Al Whittle, showed uh, the Acadia Theater, showed three movies a week, you know, with full shorts right. and newsreels and all that. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I think, yeah, we've, we've lost so much with theater culture that, uh, we've lost so much of theater culture. Oh, it's gone. Yeah. There's just, I mean, and there's probably no way to bring it back that way. You no. couldn't get people to sit still for that long. No. But, I mean, I went to see Lawrence of Arabia in 70mm at the Lightbox last week, uh, I guess, and it was a full house. I had to sit in the front row. I didn't mind. It was actually, mm. I'd never seen the film from that angle, so I was yeah. fine with it. But I, it was amazing that people would come out on a, on a Thursday afternoon. It was like a one o'clock show. It was the last show of Lawrence. They were doing four dates for it. Mm. And clearly everybody who'd missed it in mm-hmm. the last three were, was there. But it was, it was fantastic. It was a full crowd. Wow. People were engaging with Omar Sharif and just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies. I, I've seen it theatrically half a dozen times now. Well, I haven't seen that in a long time. No. It's, well, it's good? Yeah, it holds up. It's just magnificent. Mm. You know, you don't feel the running time. You just... And the, the 
you see it in the searches as well. The the sense that there's no artifice, there's no digital anything. You know, when when the camel is a mile from the camera, it's a mile from the camera. Yeah, you just you can't fake that stuff. And the locations in in the searchers, as 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 harsh as the lighting is, and maybe as as um, studio uh, stitched as some of the costumes looked, mm-hmm. they're still riding horses and oh, doing all those stunts. Yeah. That's all real. Yeah. It's a it's a world that's gone in so many ways. Yeah. The other thing that hits me always is how emotional it is. Mm-hmm. Like it brings you to tears, like from fifteen minutes in, and it keeps doing it over and over, and that push, that emotional push, is so strong. You know, from his uh, quest. Yeah. And you you feel it all the time, every minute. That's a magic act. Yeah, I was thinking about it this time, uh, and it's it starts with. I mean, first there's the 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 raising of the homestead where we we really we just see yeah. flames and burning and nothing. You know, don't go in. We're constantly being told not to look at things. Yeah. Don't go in there. There's nothing for him to see. Yeah. I don't make me tell you anymore. That's right. It's. Oh, boy, and the, the, the climax of that is with um, when Jeffrey Hunter is going to go save her, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, don't make me, there's something I've been meaning to tell you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was, it was your mother's scalp, right, on that uh, lance. <laughs> Jeffrey yeah. Hunter says, so what? Doesn't change anything. Yeah. But it's the difference between someone who's seen horror and someone who hasn't, yeah. right? Like, it's... It's partially, I, we were talking about this earlier, it's the restrictions of the 50s where you couldn't, you really couldn't show the kind of carnage that you can see now in, in film. Yeah, aren't but you thankful for that? Well, I don't think Ford would have wanted to anyway. No. I don't think that's who he was. No. Like, it's more disturbing when you can't see it. And the, yeah. the one thing that stood out to me about Lawrence this time is just how brightly red the blood is mm. in an almost artificial way. Because mm-hmm. there isn't much, but when you see it, it's... It's not yeah. real. Yeah. And in here, in the searchers, you see almost no blood. No. But it's implied that it's too awful to look at, mm-hmm. which is worse. Yeah. Which makes it so much worse. Yeah. That's right. It's when, when he's uh, trying to shoot all the buffalo. Yeah. Right? So they can't eat them. Right? He doesn't show the buffalo going down. No. And no. It's just him shooting. Yeah, and that's yeah. worse because yeah. he's carrying it. He's yeah. he's just doing this awful thing, shooting out the dead man's eyes. So you mm-hmm. can't, and and that's great too because it tells you that Ethan knows so much about these people that he loathes, mm-hmm. that he'll defile them in a specific way. Right. And he's also dismissive of the Reverend, like he's throwing away Christianity mm-hmm. to do this thing, and n- neither of those, neither of the blasphemies holds him. Like they don't. They don't settle on him. It's just a casual thing that Wayne is doing in performance. It's just like, yeah, well, this is what you do to make them hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just tells me about how long he's been living with this. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't bother him that it's just it's just protocol. Mm-hmm. This ugly life he's living. Well, yeah. I mean, now it's all kept from us, right? Mm-hmm. But the same thing is going on on a massive scale everywhere. Um, I think that's why the movie's so great. It's about things that are in everyone. 
yeah. you know. Um, but now, we don't have movies about that kind of thing, you yeah. know. We have movies referring to it, you know, or... Sort of arm's length from it? Yeah, yeah. Sort of redos of... You know? Yeah, no, it's... Well, I mean, you can't tell original stories anymore. There seems to be no market for it. So, you know, it's easier to, to bake 70s conspiracy theories into a Captain America movie or, or yeah. that way. And then you still have the patina of superheroes where nothing is real and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious to see how Black Panther handles the racial stuff that's bound to be oh, there. Oh, my God. Right? Like, ah. it's always been in the Marvel stuff, but yeah. maybe Ryan Coogler can bring it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, you know, that cast is going to do something. They'll they'll be committed on some level to mm-hmm. finding a truth. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I don't know where we go next. I mean, the industry is in this schism where micro-budget stuff can get made and huge stuff can get made, but nothing in the middle, which seems to clear out the possibility of, yeah. you know, character studies and psychological That's explorations right. on any... Like, you can't make a period movie for no money. Mm-hmm. So... You know, how do you re-engage with something like The Searchers? You do mm. it the way Koenig did, which is shoot it in the in the um, in a Calloway and and make it its own oh, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I can't imagine trying to remake it straight. Anyway, there's you there's couldn't. no point, right? No, you couldn't. It would be ugly. Maybe we need it to be. Uh, be unwatchable, I mean. Oh, I see. I mean, trying to recreate that. Uh, yeah. to, to try to get two or three hundred guys on horseback who are that great. I mean, they're all like great riders. Uh, yeah, I wonder if the stunt teams even exist anymore. That is anyone working at that scale? You can do it all digitally now, so why would you need... Well, it people? all depends on demand, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. We should leave the searchers as it is. I think so. Outside. Yeah. I don't yeah. think we need another one. My thanks to Stephen McCaddy, who you can see opposite Kathleen Monroe, Melanie Scrofano, and friends of the show Cara G and Grace Lynn Kung in Peter Lynch's Birdland, opening theatrically in Toronto this Friday, January 26th, the same day it goes live on various VOD platforms in the U.S. and Canada, including iTunes, Amazon Video, and Google Play. Thanks also to Cynthia Amston. She knows what she did. You can find Stephen on Twitter at Stephen McCaddy, all one word, but you'll also notice he's never used the account, which seems somehow fitting. He's pretty old school. You can absolutely find The Searchers on Blu-ray and DVD in a fine special edition from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you just too darn loud.